0: So we have uh, left uh, Jonah at sea and after um, a good month or so we are returning now uh, and I don't want to repeat uh, what we've already looked at but to sum it up, uh, here is a prophet of God that has been mightily used in the past, um, especially against the Assyrians and now he is backsliding. And what we mean by backsliding is going away from God. God has commanded him to go to Nineveh, the largest city in the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah is thinking, God can't be calling me to preach to the people that I've been used against before. So God wants me to go to Tarshish, which, as it happens, is the opposite direction. And this is what we need to understand about backsliding. It is subtle. It spiritualizes itself. It begins in the heart before it shows itself in outward uh, activity. So we have to ask ourselves, am I like Jonah? Am I going in the opposite direction that God would have me go, and I'm even justifying it spiritually. Now, we left Jonah. It started off very well for him, didn't it? Everything uh, was opening up. I'm sure he would have said, this must be right because everything is being providential. Uh, He went to Joppa, Uh, boat was found very easily and he got on board and he went to sleep. But, there's a verse which says the way of the backslider is hard. And even though it started easy, soon, Jonah finds himself in the middle of a storm and he's fast asleep and the captain awakes him when he hears him snoring, according to some commentators. And that's where we left off uh, the passage. And I left off with this thought, that Jonah here is not just being awakened physically, he's waking up spiritually. And my friends, if there's one thing we need as a church and as a people in 2020, it is this, an awakening. Do you believe that? Do you pray for myself and other ministers that we would have an awakening ministry? That's what we need. Our forefathers, they often referred to revivals, not as revivals, but to awakenings. It's a good word. It's not the world that's revived. The world can't be revived. The world is spiritually dead. It's the church when she's asleep that is revived. And that's what we need. Now, what we're going to ask tonight and try to answer is this. What happens when we are woken up spiritually how does it look and we'll look at the way god deals with jonah to see how we can be dealt with if we are awakened now i stand before you uh, with fear and awe Uh, i'm not a morning person so i don't like waking up right it's very uncomfortable but how much more uncomfortable is it To be awakened spiritually, and how much more uncomfortable it is to preach on it, because the danger in this is for me to point the finger at you (laughs) and say you need to be awakened, and think that I'm all right. Brothers and sisters, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. I've spent much time in prayer that God would give me the words tonight. So. I've got three things to say as to how this awakening happens. The first thing I note about Jonah here is this. This is my first point. He comes clean. He comes clean. Uh, He's woken up and the sailors say there's something wrong. This storm shows that some God has been offended. Um, If you saw uh, the recent um, programme on Dracula... Uh, that the BBC has done. Uh, I think it's the second episode. Uh, They are travelling on this ship uh, and Dracula is on board and things begin to go wrong and uh, people uh, begin to realise that there's some curse upon them and uh, they say it's like Jonah. They quote Jonah. (laughs) And these sailors, they are aware in their own way Uh, that there's a curse upon them and that they need to find out who's brought the curse onto the ship. Well, it's not Dracula here. (laughs) It's Jonah. But the way he's found out, and as a result of being found out, he comes clean. He confesses. That's what I mean by coming clean. He admits. But the way that happens is interesting. They cast lots, verse 7, they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah now we wouldn't cast lots would we (laughs) We, we believe in a sovereign God but in the Old Testament God had given to his people the casting of lots as a way of determining certain things and there's a verse in Proverbs which is very important it says the lot is cast into the lap but it's very decision is from the lord it's every decision is from the lord so it's god that's in control here it is the spirit of god that is guiding the lots and it is the spirit of god that is pointing toward jonah now i'm not going to put you on the spot but those of you who have been attending the bible studies over the years will know uh, from our studies in the book of joshua that lots were cast on another occasion Amongst a group of people who were under a curse. It was when the people tried taking the city of Ai, and they were defeated. And Joshua realizes that there's something not right between them and God. And they cast lots, and the lots falls on who? Achan. Achan. And I'm just going to read some words from Joshua. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 7. I think I've got verse 19 written down here, if I can understand my handwriting. Joshua 7, verse 19. What is it to come clean? How did Jonah come clean? How do I come clean? This is what Joshua says to Achan. Uh, the word of God says, your sin will find you out. What do we do? We're a bit like Jonah when we are backslidden. We try to justify our sin. We try to hide our sin but your sin will find you out. The Holy Spirit will bring his light into the situation eventually. What do I do? Listen to Joshua. Make confession to the Lord and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to pray as we sang in that hymn? Search me, O God. Help me not to hide behind an evangelical mask but help me to confess are you ready to do that there's a relief you know when you confess all Uh, we're told that that's what Achan did Uh, verse 20 indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done David, I've got so many verses, but I need to read them. David, in one of the Psalms, When I kept silent, Psalm 32, My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. I acknowledged my sin to you. That's coming clean. And my iniquity have I not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my soul. Are you coming clean? Am I coming clean? Now, this is where we have to be careful that we don't abuse one another because it's possible to think about confessing sin and to think about it and do it in an abusive way. Let me give you an example. There are churches that put pressure on their members to confess in great detail before one another sexual immorality now you can not do that you, you can't open up say to another person that you are tempted because you are attracted to them sexually you just don't do that so when we say we have to confess sin we don't mean that everything is confessed but there is another way where this can be abused jonah was the cause of the blockage. That's why God's blessing wasn't coming. Achan was the blockage in Joshua. What's the blockage that is hindering God from pouring his blessing upon us? You see, it's possible to say, if you disagree with a pastor, You are the traitor in the camp. People have been abused in that way. Oh, no. What do you do? You say, Lord, you search me. Let me give you an example. Um, Duncan Campbell. Have you all heard of Duncan Campbell? Have you young people heard of Duncan Campbell? He he was a man used by God in the 1950s on the Isle of Lewis. Lewis up in the outer Hebrides. And he was mighty through the spirits, Duncan Campbell. Quite a character he was. And before God blessed his people through Duncan Campbell and Lewis, he convicted some of the deacons. So these now weren't people on the periphery of the church, these were deacons. These were members of church council, if I can put it like that. And these deacons had been praying for revival. And they were praying in a barn. Not that we would pray in a barn. (laughs) But they were on the Isle of Lewis. So they were in a barn. And one of the deacons suddenly stops praying. And he says to these other deacons, this is humbug. Do you know what the word humbug means? This is hypocrisy. If we are seeking God for revival, and our hearts are not right. And then he quoted, and I think he was convicted by the spirit here, from the psalm that I opened the meeting with, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands. And I remember Duncan Campbell saying it with that lilt in his voice. This deacon was challenging these other deacons. This wasn't abuse. He was convicted himself. Are our hands clean? Oh, Lord, are our hands clean? Are our hands what we interact with the world with? Are they clean? Are are we saying one thing to God and another thing to one another? are we real are we what we're in church the same as we're in the world i got good christian friends uh, in other countries and they don't have our theological background they don't have our privileges but they know a greater blessing because with a little knowledge that they have they're more real are we real so the traitor doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It can be within our hearts. Have you read John Bunyan's second greatest work? Do you know what John Bunyan's second greatest work is after Pilgrim's Progress? The Holy War. It's about man's soul, and man's soul is an allegory of a person. And man's soul is saved. It's saved by Emmanuel. Emmanuel conquers man's soul and comes to live in the citadel, the castle, the hearts. That's a wonderful illustration of conversion. But you know what happens gradually to Mansoul? Gradually, Mr. Carnal Security begins to have a foothold. And eventually, Emmanuel is driven out. And the rest of the book is about this Mansoul awakened and seeking Emmanuel to return to it. But my point is this. The traitor was Mr. Carnal Security haven't we got too at ease in these last few years haven't we so come clean pray to god O oh lord show me show me uh john calvin puts it like this if we wish god to approve our repentance let us not seek evasions Nor let us extenuate, uh, make things seem less than they are our sins. But by a free confession, testify before the whole world that we are sinners. Oh, you don't need to confess before me, I'm not the priest. Confess before Jesus Christ. Confess before one another if you've offended a brother or a sister. But it's not easy this, isn't it? Coming clean, that's the first thing that Jonah does and then the second point and this is in uh, a bit more detail Um, verse 8 please tell us the lot has fallen on him for whose cause is this trouble upon us what is your occupation where do you come from what is your country and of what people are you what's the second thing we begin to do when we're awakened well our identity becomes clear our identity these people they are Bombarding Jonah with questions of who are you, Jonah? What's your work? Where do you come from? Those are questions that have to do with identity. Now, whenever we're spiritually asleep, we're unaware of whose we are as believers. Do you know your identity, my friend? Tony is involved in a lot of work that deals with, uh, I guess, gender identity, and I don't know if I've got this right. Are there Or being suggested over a hundred or maybe more different genders today how sad how sad the confusion when it comes to gender identity there's only two in the Bible (laughs) male and female I'm sure you know your identity there I'm male God has put us in different nationalities and there's nothing wrong with having a national identity i can never work out whether i'm british or welsh (laughs) i don't mind either but some of you are different nationality and there's nothing wrong with that so i'm male i'm british i'm welsh that's my identity but spiritually, I've got another identity. Do you know your spiritual identity? Now look at the way Jonah puts it. "I am a Hebrew, verse nine, "And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land." Now there are some people who say. Jonah here is still backslidden because he's putting his national identity, I am a Hebrew, before his relationship with God. Now, it's easy for us to do that. Um, I grew up in Welsh-speaking evangelicalism, and there I say, there can be sometimes too much of an emphasis on nationalism. Uh, I've got friends, I don't know if uh, I can call them that, but they struggle with the fact that i 'm a minister of an english speaking church, that i 'm a traitor, as it were, to uh, Wales as a result. Now, my answer is quite simple that 's putting nationality before our relationship with God. The gospel comes first, but i don 't think Jonah is doing that here. Uh, I just want you to bear with me for a bit. You see what Jonah is doing here is correcting these sailors, because these sailors would have had a territorial god. I think they would have been Phoenician sailors, so they would have had a Phoenician deity that would have been over them as they went over the seas. If you would have been in Egypt, there would have been Egyptian gods. Uh, if you would have uh, gone to Greece, there would have been those Greek gods on Mount Olympus. So, in Jonah's day, there were territorial gods divine beings but what Jonah is saying here is this I don't serve any territorial God look at the way he puts it I fear the Lord the only God the God of heaven who made the sea it's not you were deity Phoenicians who is in control of this storm it is my God Jehovah God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And he's the God of the dry land. He's not just the God of that little land of Canaan. He's the God of Egypt. He's the God of Greece. He's the God of Rome. He's the God of Spain. He's the God of the whole universe. And my friends, that's the God whom we are worshipping. And so we mustn't think of our identity in terms of our nationalism and that linked to our Christianity. I hope I'm not being too complicated here, but let me give you a personal example. I was brought up chapel. That, that's how many old Welsh people will identify themselves. Wynne and Angela will come across many people who will say to them, it's all right, I'm a chapel goer what's that got to do with it that's simply a territorial god my chapel going wasn't christianity it was nominal christianity these friends who've come from iran uh, zoroastrianism uh, would have been i think one of the uh, initial religions there but christianity is for iranians In India, Hinduism is the most dominant religion, but Christianity isn't like the territorial religion. Christianity is over and above that. So, whether you're a Hindu from India, whether you're a Zoroastrian from Iran, whether you're a chapel going Welshman, you still need Jesus Christ. Do you see? This God who we got is the God of the whole world. And what's your identity? let me tell you what happened to me a few months after i was saved can you remember when you were saved you were so on fire for the lord can you remember that you said anything you said anything well i can remember being in chester train station waiting to be picked up by my parents and uh this couple came up to me and they said to me are you a christian are you a christian and i said yes of course I'm Christian I was so full of Christianity I'd actually misunderstood their question they asked me are you Christian they'd come to pick somebody up <laughs> who was called Christian <laughs> and I, I, I was just so full of I think it was the, the zeal and the joy of the Lord that I'd heard are you a Christian?" And I was just bumbling over with joy, saying, yes, I'm a Christian. And then they said to me, you've changed. <laughs> but even though I put my foot in it, I was so full at the time of this. Not that I was a Welshman, even though I was. Not that uh, I uh, loved Calvinistic Methodism. I do with every fibre of my being. I love these hymns from the 18th and the 19th century but more than that, I'm Christ's, I'm Christ's. And then they said, well, it's always good to be a Christian. (laughs) Oh, do you see your identity as I'm Christ's? What do you make of this? Paul writing to the Galatians, the end of chapter three. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's no nationality in that sense in the church. Neither bond nor free, no status neither male nor female but christ is all in all what do you make of that jesus uh alcoholics anonymous i've never been to a meeting but i've seen enough programs that have meetings and they begin their meetings with a person introducing themselves and They'll say, if so, if I was attending an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, I would introduce myself like this. I am Wynne. My name is Wynne. And I'm an alcoholic. I wonder how our church would be revolutionised if we thought of ourselves in this way. My name is Wynne. I'm not father. I'm not father. I'm not the priest. I'm not, I have to be careful here, because it's got Reverend outside. I'm not right, Reverend. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. How did Thomas William put it? I know that I'm a sinner. I'm coming as a sinner. I have no other name but you don't stop there i'm a sinner saved by grace i've heard of old that jesus and he's the same today turns not the greatest sinners nor tax collectors away i'm a saved sinner can you say that my identity whatever my nationality is whatever my christian heritage is and i'm proud to bits of that. More than all of that, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you know what? I am not what I should be, right? I am not what I should be. I'm not even what I desire to be. But praise God, I'm not what I once was. I am what I am by the grace of God. And that same grace has taken hold of you. And when I meet a brother or sister in Christ, whatever their label, I metaphorically hug them because they are brothers and sisters as well. That's our identity, Christ. I can't see any other identity in the church. Are you Christs this evening? Are you proud of the fact? I, I got to move on to one final point. What does Jonah do here? I'm a Hebrew. And then he uses one word. I want to end on this word. And I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I fear the Lord. What is Jonah doing? Um, if you can pardon my use of the phrase, but it is appropriate, after identity, what does Jonah do? He comes out. He comes out of the closet. He's no longer hiding his lights under a bushel. He's proud of the fact that he is the Lord. And the way he describes it is this, I fear the Lord. What does fear mean? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom a backslidden people a backslidden individual does not fear god what's fear oh how i fear thee living god with deepest tenderest fears and worship thee with trembling hope and penitential tears the fear of god isn't servile fear it's not the fear of somebody who's scared, who's in torments. It's the fear of a child. Uh, those of you who are children, you love your parents, but you're afraid of them, aren't you? Because they are parents, but you love them. Oh, isn't that what we want more of? This fear of the Lord. Uh, I've been helped by one commentator. He's putting it like this. It is the sleeping church that fears the world and looks for relevance in worldliness. But when the church is awakened, it fears the Lord. Isn't that what we need? There is no fear of God in society. Do you know why there's no fear of God in society? Because there's no fear of God amongst his people. Another translation of the fear of the Lord is the worship of the Lord. Another translation of the fear of the Lord, Psalm 130, is the serving of the Lord. So how do I uh, awake as a Christian? Don't you feel yourself beginning to waken up from your spiritual sleep? Oh, I become uh, proud of the fact that I'm Christ. And I begin to get out of the closet and show people that I love him, that I serve him that I'm in awe of him and it shows itself in all sorts of ways and I just want to finish by just going through some of those things Um, I'm encouraged by Duncan Campbell again by his honesty when he arrived on Lewis he had these deacons meet him these men had been filled by the spirits and you know what they asked him Mr Campbell, Mr Campbell are you walking with the Lord? are you walking with the Lord? and you know what he said? I'm not sure I don't know but I fear him. And you know what they answered? Well, that's good enough for us. (laughs) Isn't that great? That's good enough for us. If your heart is tender tonight and you just want to return to the Lord and you just want to be able to be in awe of him and to be in love with him, I think he's saying that's good enough. That's good enough. You can rise higher then uh, and have a closer walk with God I was in a service in a Pentecostal church it was a wedding service I said it last Sunday didn't I Uh, up in the valleys and oh they weren't trying to be relevant Uh, do you know do you know what this pastor was saying this is at the start of the service now there were people from all sorts of backgrounds there Um, and this pastor said this is an unashamedly Christian wedding (coughs) and then he said we believe the gospel and we're not ashamed we're not oh it warmed the spiritual cockles of my heart to hear somebody say that you know when the church tries to be relevant by toning things down do, do you know what the world thinks the world doesn't think anything Of the church if we're trying to get people in by showing people that we're just like them people will say what's the point of me coming to church if i can get what the world offers me outside the church i don't need to come to church the chapel i was brought up in i never heard about this god not the gospel anyway all we were doing was social things just like the world and even though there were many people there because it was second generation That church now is no more. It's been demolished. It's just a housing estate. Whenever the church has tried to be relevant, it has become an irrelevance. When the church has unashamedly stood for Jesus Christ and his true gospel, God has taken care, hasn't he, of the church? Haven't you found that to be the case here? Well, I've been here now for 15 years, so even since I've been here, God has been good to us. So let us in 2020 not try to tone things down. Let us seek every means to take the gospel to this city, but let us do it unashamedly. You know, I'm glad we do open-air preaching as a church. Many evangelicals don't like open-air preaching anymore. How sad, how sad we should be unashamed, unashamed. And then there's something else. Fear God, and you will have no one and nothing else to fear. The fear of man brings a snare. I wonder, in my own hearts, maybe in your hearts, is there sometimes an incipient worldliness there? Not in an obvious sense, but when we fear more about what other Christians may think of us than about what Jesus Christ thinks of us. You know, I hear of preachers who, who are more afraid when they're in the pulpit of what uh, those members of the church who have power will say if they offend them. Than of what Jesus Christ might say. Pray for me as a pastor. That I won't be the puppets. Of the elders. The elders are excellent men. But I'm God's servants. And may we as a people. May not we. Ever be looking over our shoulders. Afraid. Afraid. Of one another. May we look. To Jesus Christ alone. And simply. Fear him. Fear him. Fear him. Um, I heard of a Christian couple. They've gone to glory now, up in the valleys. And uh, they had uh, some believers come round to their house. And um, the, the wife, she was very sensitive. Uh, she wanted something to be removed. I'm not going to say what that something is. I leave that to you. But she was afraid that this something might cause offence to some of the people that were coming, because they were quite strict. And this was not something condemned by the Bible. And you know what the husband said? No. We fear God. We are only doing what God will have us do. Oh, isn't that wonderful? When you've got a people, and I trust we are such a people, who are beginning to wake up spiritually, and who are beginning... To come out, as it were, and just stand where God has put us for our Saviour and focus not on one another, not on one another. We're gonna let one another down. Focus on Jesus Christ. And if you please him, then you will rightly please one another. Don't you want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servants for his name's sake.